In the holy name of Jesus, every one of us has got a story. And again this morning, if we went around the room and we each had our say, and if just for a moment we could find find it in ourselves to be completely honest, our stories would not be pretty. They would be the stuff of being lonely and unloved, of being hurt and hurting others, of being broken and incomplete, and often stories of failing. But then comes Pentecost, a day when Jesus himself trades his story for our story. You remember how it went. On Pentecost, Peter says, you all have got a very, very bad story. You and your sins killed Jesus, the Son of the living God. Stabbed in the heart, the people say, you are absolutely right, our story stinks. Give us a new story, what shall we do? And mercifully, Peter replies, repent and be baptized. And live within the name of Jesus. Live within the forgiveness of sins. Live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And with those words and that baptizing, Jesus himself did the work. Jesus pushed his story into them. A story of eternal love. Of taking flesh and blood, of life and death and resurrection. And all of that for the life of the world. A story of grace and mercy and gift. Of love and beauty and community, Jesus pushed all of that into them, and in doing that, he pushed their story out of them. An absolutely horrible story of betrayal and the murder of an innocent man, and of unfaithfulness. And finally, for the first time, they were free. Jesus took away their story and gave them his And finally they were free, but they were not finished. By now you know that Acts chapter 2 was a beginning and not an end. Verse 42 tells us that his story bubbled up inside them until it looked like a dance, a perichoresis, that ancient word for the love and relationship and community between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Trinity. What was shared in the preaching and the baptism at Pentecost shows itself in the way of life that followed. It was a dance that continued steadfast in the apostles' teaching, that scripture, and fellowship. For them, that meant mercy for the poor and sick and underprivileged and a good witness to all of those around. And the breaking of the bread... That's code for the divine service with the Eucharist, like you have this morning. And prayers, that's daily devotions, twice a day, the way any good Jew would. And having all things in common, not just the old school give the temple 10%, but instead they brought everything they had, gave it to the pastors, and trusted them for a fair distribution among all the congregation. That is Acts chapter 2, verse 42 the first Christian church. 
Caution now. That is not the dance of pietists, the horribly self-conscious who only think about what I want and I feel and I think and what I've broken and whom I've hurt and where I failed. Jesus was very clear last week that that kind of self-focus very quickly turns to fear, that all fear is self-regarding, all fear is self-appealing, and when we only tend ourselves, when we only focus in, we ultimately scare ourselves all the way to death because there is no end to how absolutely rotten our stories can be. So how do we stop fearing and stop worrying? We sing and dance his story. We do and say as Christ has given us to do and say. We began to hear about it last week on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount. If you are a bird, says Jesus, eat what the Father gives you. Don't sow or reap or gather into barns. That isn't yours to do. And if you are a lily, grow, knowing that our Lord will give you clothes more wonderful than Solomon's. Toiling and spinning isn't yours to do. And now this morning, Jesus continues. If you are baptized, build a house. If you are baptized, build a house on Christ himself, Christ the cornerstone. Get busy. And don't worry about the wind or the rain or the floods. That isn't yours to do. Do you see now? Fear goes away automatically when you stop talking and start doing. Progress in the Christian life is made when you stop talking and start doing. The church flourishes and the angels sing. When you stop talking and start doing. Doubtless now, some good Lutheran will cry out, works righteousness, to which I say, settle down. Once upon a time, that was certainly true. You have the heresy from Tetzel in the margin for today. In Luther's day, you could buy salvation for cash, for credit, or for trade. Sin now and pay later was just an early version of our mortgage mess. Beat yourself silly, and you could jump the line in purgatory, write a big check to the bishop, and you could be in for sure. Or so it was said. But that was wrong, and it's still wrong, because all of that is just another way to focus on ourselves. But that's not really our problem today. Our problem is that we've swung so far the other way that we take the free gift of Christ for granted. Our problem is not that we are in danger of working our way into heaven, but of not working at all. Our problem is wax fruit. Our problem is the hypocrisy of saying, I'm a Christian, but then I look nothing like the way the Lord gives the church to look 
in Acts chapter 2. Jesus himself says it in the gospel for today. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of the Father, the will of my Father in heaven. And so the cure, how do we bear the real, delicious, joyous, wonderful fruit that Jesus talks about in the gospel? The answer has been the same since the first day of creation. At creation, and at Christmas, and at Trinity, and at Pentecost, and in Acts chapter 2, and now in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, there is no gap between the talking and the doing. At each point, Jesus' words do what they say. And so it is the daily engagement, the daily practice of Christ and Scripture and prayer and the Eucharist and generosity and mercy and witness that chases fear away automatically. The doing keeps us in the gifts. The doing keeps the focus. The doing builds community. The doing expresses love. The doing is being a Christian. That is the point of the epistle appointed for this day. It is not works righteousness when you are dead and Jesus resurrects you. That is his work, not yours. It's also in the gospel. It is not works righteousness when you are nothing but given to, when Christ sticks his fruit on you, his tree. It is the joy in the Old Testament reading for today. It is not works righteousness when our Lord trades his story for yours, when he gathers you near and gives you the secret of the Trinitarian life of love and relationship and community. Because it's not your work, it's his. Just read this. Here it is, says Jesus. Jam it in your head and soul. Paint it on your head and on your hand. Talk about it with your kids when they are up and down and upside down. Pound it on your doorpost. Stick it on your gates. Have the blessing. Say the blessing. Do the blessing, not the curse. Please, please understand. If Jesus gives you something to say and to do, and then Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit by which to do it. It is not your saying and doing, it is his. Christians never run by their own steam. Not I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. So you can say it any way you want. If you'd like to thump the priesthood of all believers, then I would say to you, if you're a priest, make a sacrifice. If you are a tree in the Garden of Eden, bear fruit. If you are a sheep, follow. If you are a disciple, obey. If you are an Israelite, sing and dance with hand and heart and avoid the wolves in sheep's clothing who would tell you anything different. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.